promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Greetings, blessings to you on this. Uh, I guess we're going into our second full week after Easter, uh, heading into the third Sunday uh, of Easter. And today we're going to be taking a look at another one of our post-resurrection accounts, post-resurrection stories. And this one's going to be coming out of Mark chapter 16. Uh, as, as we look at the instructions that Jesus gives and the picture that is painted of those who are ones who are going to be serving him in in a particular way, I guess, uh, a, a little weird way, but uh, we will we will be looking at that today. Uh, but let us now begin as we normally do. O Lord, open our lips and our mouth shall show forth thy praise. God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. Our Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning at the ninth verse. Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping, yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country, and they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. So Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, 
while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the words by the accompanying signs. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Now, this is what is considered the the long ending for Mark. Uh, in in most of the manuscripts that we have, a lot of them anyways, the, the ending of Mark ends at verse 8. The ladies went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. That's a weird place to end the, the resurrection account, right? For Mark. <laughs> and, and especially since you want to go, well, if they said nothing to nobody, how come you're able to write to us, Mark, about what happened? Right? <laughs> like, they must have said something to somebody. Well, then we have this longer account, and I don't know exactly when the timeline is of when uh, you know the earliest manuscript has this, but it's it's early enough that we include it in our Bibles. The majority of our English translations have them, if not the plurality of all of them, if not every single one of them. I haven't checked every single translation, English translation. But it's, it's in part, it begins with basically the account of what we already have from some of the other Gospels, right? So he appears first to Mary Magdalene. Well, we can get that in many ways out of John, right? The, the longer resurrection story that we get from the Gospel of John, where Mary goes and doesn't find Jesus in the tomb, and she runs and gets the disciples, and they come back, and they see that the tomb is empty, and the angel appears to Mary Magdalene, and then Jesus appears to her. And so we have we have Mark sort of recounting that for us to make sure that, that we can see some continuity, right? Which I think is important. It's important because it tells us that the, that the Gospels work together. And then it says that she went and reported it to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. And we're told that they are mourning and weeping and they're terrified. Uh, They've locked doors and all these things. And she goes and she tells them and they don't believe her, right? And we're told that in other gospels that uh, the, the disciples, the apostles did not believe those who came to them and said, the Lord is risen. And... So there, there's nothing really special there. It, it's just an extension of what we've, we've already heard. But I think in, especially it, it speaks to us, right, of our own failings, of, of how more often than not, the hardest thing for us to believe is that Jesus is risen. We don't want to believe that. But here we have Jesus risen, and we're told that regularly. We don't want to believe it because we look around the world and we see death. We look around the world and we see uh, things not going the way that we think they should be going. And so then we, um, we, we, we can have a difficult time believing that Jesus rose from the dead and that he will raise us from the dead. And so we shouldn't scorn or look down upon the disciples because we're just like them. We are. We're going to run into those issues. And if you, if you're getting down on yourself because you're having doubts or whatnot, we're not celebrating doubt at all, but we are, but what we are saying is that we're going to be honest with ourselves. 
We're going to be honest over the fact that we are going to fail in our faith sometimes, fail in our trusting. And so you have the disciples that don't believe her. And then we have the account uh, in verse 12 and 13 of basically the road to Emmaus story that we're going to get to, uh, I believe, next week uh, from Luke chapter 24, in which he appears to Clopas and Clopas's wife um, at, as they are walking to Emmaus on their way back from Jerusalem. And so it, this, this is, again, fitting within that story, fitting within the fact that, that Jesus comes to his people. He speaks to them. He appears to them. He wants to grow their faith and help them to trust that he is one who is going to redeem them, who's going to save them, who's going to raise them. And yet, what are we told again? They don't believe the report. It's part of the reason why, as pastors, we should be regularly talking about the basics of the faith, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because that's what our faith is based on. Being nice to people, you can be a Buddhist and be nice to people, but there is no resurrection in Buddhism. There's reincarnation, which what you come back at is impacted by your own good deeds. Resurrection is a raising you again to new life, even though you do not deserve it, which is two different things. And so then we have sort of a, a continuation of what we had last week from Matthew 28 with sort of the Great Commission again. It says that he appears to the eleven while they're reclining at table, while they're having dinner, and he rebukes them for their lack of faith. He rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. So he comes to these people who continually not do not believe, right? And what ends up happening? Does he write them off? Does he say, oh, no, Jesus for you. Sorry. Nope, you don't get to have a part with me. You're out. You've, you've, failed enough, Peter. You're done. No, that's not what happens. He rebukes them and then he gives them a mission where he basically is saying, yeah, I know you don't believe. How dare you not believe? I've sent all these people to you to get you to believe and you're not wanting to believe, which is kind of, I think, what's going to happen with a lot of us. We have numbers of pastors who come to us, numbers of Sunday school teachers, numbers of youth directors, numbers of just people in the church, family members who come to us and tell us Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary into the world so that everything that happens through him would be the impossible being done by the one who has no problem working the impossible. And the impossible includes him living the sinless life, being obedient to the law and being obedient to death and dying on a cross to redeem you from your lack of faith, from your inability to love, from uh, everything that causes you to not be a good follower of Jesus. And that's why Jesus came and he dies and he rises again because he has to take care of two things. One, he has to take care of sin. Our sin is what brings upon us 
death, our sin, uh, uh, is all of our times of turning away from God. We always get upset, obsessed with with our our own personal morality. We get obsessed with uh, how good we can be, how nice we can be to others, when the reality of sin is our unbelief. The reality of our sin is our idolatry, is our turning away from Jesus. That is the sin that we truly, truly need to look at and to realize that's the reason why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come because you might have punched your little brother uh, 30 years ago. Jesus came because you've given God the finger (laughs) so that he might take upon your sin, your iniquities, your transgressions, your turning away from God so that he dies, takes that sin, He buries it. And then he takes care of death, which is the penalty for our sin. Our sin is us wanting to be God. Death is God making sure that we understand that we are not. The the payment for our sin, right, is death. For the wages of sin is death, right? And so Christ comes and rebukes, but then he gives a mission. Because I think sometimes even in the mission, in the preaching, in the teaching, in the telling of the story, it helps us in our faith. It reminds us of what it is that we believe and why we believe it. It gives to us something to hold on to. And so here he, he gives that, that mission to, to continue to repeat it. Cause, because if anything, uh, I, I had a, a pastor once tell me, every sermon you better preach to yourself, pastor, before you preach it to anyone else. Because if you can't preach to yourself, then it's not going to preach to anybody else. And so uh, regularly telling and preaching the story is going to be a way of um, truly having that story um, take hold of you and and get hand you something to be able to hold on to that is more than anything that you could do on your own, but it is God working through word and through a story to make you his own. So he sends them on this mission, just like he did in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, the good news to all creation, that all creation is going to be made new. And then we get verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You notice first that the emphasis is placed on the believing, on the trusting. Whoever trusts, it's pistis, whoever, pisteu, whoever trusts in Christ and not in themselves and is baptized, meaning either one, (laughs) you relinquish all that you are to allow God to put you to death, as Paul tells us in Romans 6, and raise you to new life, knowing that you need to die and rise in Jesus, that you can't go about on your own, or to your baby, and you get baptized, and it's your parents trusting and handing you the keys to the kingdom because you've been written into the will. That is the work of God. 
in you. That's that's part of the reason why he's saying whoever believes and is baptized, because faith is connected to baptism, either before or after the fact. But the, the biggest issue is the one of trusting. Either we trust that our baptism was enough when we were eight days old, or we come to faith in God, we come to trust in God, we get converted, we become a new convert to Christianity, and we get baptized. Those are the two things that happen. And then it says, though, that we will not be, con- we will not be condemned if we trust. Why? The thing that's going to condemn us is not God sitting on his throne and going through his ledger and saying, oh, yeah, that time that you hit your brother, sorry, you're done, to hell with you. No. What's going to condemn us is when we say to God, no, I'm good on my own. I don't need you. I'm not going to trust you. And then there's all these weird signs, right? It adds all these signs. Uh, in my name, they will drive out demons. Well, we do have people who cast out demons. And I know of faithful Lutheran pastors who've been called to exorcisms and they've actually done them. I think oftentimes we might be a little too quick to, uh, to say something is uh, a demon when maybe it's just sin. Um, but casting out demons, okay. Meaning that's a sign to say that Christ has power over demons, that we won't sit in fear of demons like the majority of the world was at that time, that our faith is attached to one who has power over demons. So that's that's why that's important. They will speak in new tongues. Uh, We often want to say that this is something to do with some sort of angelic speech. Uh, This is a point of debate in the church. I would say that it's more like new languages. It's what we see happen at Pentecost. This is a forecast to what is going to happen at Pentecost. Why are they going to speak in new languages? So they can take the story to other people so that they can preach. They will pick up snakes. This one is a little weird because we think of like those backwater churches that practice like the dancing with snake stuff and everything like in West Virginia and everything. I often sometimes wonder if this is either one, a picking up of the story of Paul being bitten by a snake on Malta after their shipwreck and it doesn't harm him. That's an interesting story. Or two, that this has this notion of this conquering of Satan. I don't know. I think that's a sermon. That's something to explore in and of itself, that, that we're able to conquer Satan through Christ, not on our own through Christ. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. That's interesting too. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. I don't know if you've ever been part of a healing. I've I've seen it happen. My grandfather prayed over my mother's ankle once when we were in Europe. She'd really hurt it bad and Amazingly enough, somehow, the next day, it was totally fine. It was weird. Power of God to heal. The power of God over sickness, over fear, over death. So Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, meaning that everything's done. That he's, he's resting now because he, he's the victor. Things have been won. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. 
this 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 post-resurrection story here is to help us understand that our doubts are going to be real that our faith is going to be given to us and regularly needs to be given to us and part of it comes through us hearing the story but also it comes through us telling the story so i wonder how could you tell the story to somebody this week it could be something as simple as uh, wishing somebody a happy easter right it could be something as simple as that it could be uh, you actually bring somebody to church. 86% of people come to faith, come to a church because somebody asked them, not because of uh, the pastor or the hip music or big programs or whatnot. To share the story, both for your sake and for the sake of those around you, seems like an essential thing. Let us pray. O God, by the humiliation of your Son, you lifted up this fallen world, rescuing us from the hopelessness of death. Grant your faithful people a share in the joys that are eternal. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, go in peace, serve the Lord, and we will see you next week with another one of our post-resurrection stories.